I didn't. I wasn't expecting you to spin it around back at me. <laughs> and I. <laughs> Um, Why not? I don't know. <laughs> You're listening to the CXMH podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Dr. Holly, how are you doing this week? Hello. I'm good. How are you doing, Robert? I'm good. I feel like it's, it's like a call-in show, like call in to Dr. I Holly <laughs> and she'll solve no. your relationship problems. Oh my gosh, no, please don't. I'm not. <laughs> Dear Dr. Holly. No, 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 no. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's nope. awesome. Not today. <laughs> How so? You're doing okay? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, just kind of going. I don't. I, I guess it's been super cold. Oh yeah. Well, yes, there is that. But yeah, why don't I? I'll mix it up this week. Let okay. me ask you: What is one thing that you are working on this week? That is a great question. Aside, <laughs> as, I, I assume aside from this show. Yes. Uh, I, I guess kind of two things. One, I'm putting kind of the finishing touches on a website that I'm building for someone who hired me wow. to build their website. Uh, someone that you know. I don't know if you know that. Uh, yes. So putting the final the final touches on the first draft to send that over to see how they how they like it, and then I can work on feedback. So that's been really fun. Uh, it's kind of a creative type thing. I really like building websites. Not, obviously not as like a job job because it takes a while, but I really enjoy it. I built my website in CXMH and uh, yeah. a couple of ministry websites and stuff like that. So it's really fun getting to get all the information of like, what is it that you want, what, like your vision for this and trying to mm-hmm. make that happen. Uh, but also just trying to do some extra reading. I uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, I feel like I am. I, who knows? Uh, this, I'm, this is our podcast. So yeah, well, I'm on, the, I'm on the launch team for Pete N's new book. Uh, so they, uh, yeah. I think legally I have to say they provided me with a free copy of it to uh-huh. read and, and review. So I've been working through that the last couple of days, which mm. it's really good so far. So good. I think I have to put hashtag Harper one partner. So yeah, yeah I said it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I know you had told me a little bit about the book earlier and I'm excited. I mean, you're doing your job well. I'm excited to read it now after yeah. what you told me about it. So yeah, that's awesome. What are you working on this week? Well, well, okay. Well, I will say when I had originally asked you the question, I kind of meant what are you working on like for you? But you mentioned creativity with the website, so that counts. So that's good. I, for, man, I don't know. I am, (laughs) I'm getting back into my writing rhythms in a much better way than I have. I've, you know, with the holiday, I kind of loosened my grip a little bit on those daily morning writing rhythms. And so I am... Not necessarily tightening my grip, but just finding a little bit more grace. And at the same time, you know, just finding myself, it's easier to wake up earlier. Well, it's easier when you have a (laughs) a three-year-old waking up at three in the morning um, that then, you know, motivates me to just go write because I can't get back to sleep. But, But yeah, just getting back into my writing rhythms and yeah. I found out uh, the other day that I'm going to get to go on a writing retreat um, later in February that I'm really excited about nice. um, with some colleagues at Baylor. So I'm kind of getting ready for that. But yeah, yeah. So this fun stuff. That's awesome. Lots of writing. Lots and lots of writing. That's so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, send it over. I'll read it anytime. No, well, thank you. This is this a lot of what I'm working on right now is the responses from the current mental health clients regarding their preferences for integrating their faith in the mental health treatment. And so being able to start writing that and hopefully getting that sent out and shared um, soon is really exciting for me. So nice. yeah. yeah, you can read all of that on Holly's live journal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or her Zanga or her MySpace. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's awesome. Zanga, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. I think Corey had a Zanga 
blog uh, or something at one yeah, point. Yeah, heck yeah. Zengas were awesome back in the day. <laughs> you could autoplay your favorite, like, you know, oh Blink-182 song. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of awesomeness, should we shift into this week's conversation? Yeah, we're <laughs> talking all about Zengas. Yeah. There's for sure a huge chunk of the audience. Holly's dying laughing. There's a huge chunk of the audience that's like, what is this word you're saying? Yeah. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm, we've, been, we've been chatting a whole bunch this afternoon, so I think I'm getting into that, that, that silly point. Uh, it's in the afternoon, right? That's what, the, that's what the intros are for. That's right. Yeah. Um, so aside from Zangas yeah. and whatever, yes, our audience said, I'm surprised that you know what that is, actually. You're <laughs> well, I for sure had a Zanga in middle school. What do you want from me? Oh, middle school. That's right. <laughs> Corey was uh, – actually, I won't say. Anyways, um, how old he was. Do you think point. Courtney Ellis has a Zanga? I don't know if she does. Okay. But I would totally – I don't know. What was it? You follow? Was it? Could you follow it then? I don't know if they had followers back at, at that point. I think you just put the link in your AIM away message. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, that's, oh, I miss AOL Instant Messenger, man. Why? <laughs> Please edit all of this. Nope. I was trying, I set you up with a transition. Do you think Courtney Ellis has a Zanga? You know, I don't, I don't know if she does, but I do know that she was a really amazing guest for us to have on the show. Um, uh, this week. And so I'm actually really excited for our audience to get to hear um, from Courtney about her new book, uh, which is called Uncluttered. She, it's uh, sorry, it's called Uncluttered, Free Your Space, Free Your Schedule, Free Your Soul. Courtney was a, a wonderful guest, but y'all, the book, I mean, I mentioned this in the interview, but I just, I mean, I read this book in about two sittings, um, which for me is pretty fast. I don't, normally read that fast. But this book was just, it was so good. It was so relevant. Um, I felt like it was a, it was a a nice nod to some of the things that I have begun to practice and integrate into my daily life. And so hearing her kind of affirm some of these things that I'm doing and that I'm seeing have benefits, which I talk about in the episode was really helpful and it was good getting to hear that. But yeah, the yeah it just this book y'all it's so good it's so good yeah and it's and so it came, came out this week it came out i think february 1st right so right. a couple yes. days ago by the time you're mm-hmm. listening to this yeah yeah yep yeah. but so yeah we talk with courtney about um all these different areas of our lives in which we might need to pay paying attention um to what we should be adding more of versus less of so thinking about you know, everything from like shopping and clothing and technology and our schedule and, you know, hospitality, simplicity. I mean, we just kind of cover it all in this episode. And yeah, I really, I I really, really hope this episode serves our listeners well uh, with all that we cover. So any thoughts that you had about it? No, I thought it was great. I mean, I I echo a lot of what you said. I I mean, I really enjoyed it. And I I think I tell her that as well, uh, that I was a little hesitant based on the name because I thought maybe it was organizing and that's not my thing, but it wasn't right. uh, it wasn't at all. And so it, it was really great, especially to touch on all those different areas, like you said. So um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I, I recommend staying for the rest of the episode. Yes, please. Yeah, no more. <laughs> Here is our episode with Courtney Ellis. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, welcome back. Today we have uh, Courtney Ellis is joining us. She is the author, uh, speaker, and a mom of three who serves alongside her husband as a Presbyterian pastor in Southern California. Um, She is originally from Wisconsin, graduated from Wheaton College, Loyola University of Chicago, and Princeton Theological Seminary. Her passions are to find freedom through practicing Christian simplicity, to give and receive hospitality, and to live missionally while inviting others to do the same. She's been featured in the Glorious Table, uh, the Huffington Post, the Mighty Christianity Today, and others. 
Um, she is the author of Uncluttered, which we are going to be talking about today. And she also has another book that I saw is going to be coming out this summer called Almost Holy Mama. So hopefully at some point we get to hear about that. But um, today we get to focus on Uncluttered. So Courtney, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I live in Southern California, which I shouldn't talk about really during the winter, but it's nice here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Is there anything else that I missed in your bio that you want to add? No, you made me sound amazing. Tell my husband, tell my kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, before we start diving into some of the book, and I, I should preface this conversation with everyone by saying, y'all, I devoured this book within about two sittings. It is so good. And so I am unbelievably excited to get to talk about this book today um, with you. But before we dive into some of the details of the book, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write this book? This book kind of uh, came to me. I was I was teaching uh, some writing classes as an adjunct, and I ended up almost having a panic attack in the hallway between classes. I was sitting there on the floor just trying to breathe and and suddenly realized that um, I had really a great life, um, solid marriage, working for a church I loved, um, healthy kids, but I couldn't breathe. So I realized even though life seemed great, something was really, something was really wrong. And it took coming right up to the edge of almost not being able to breathe to realize that something had gone so terribly wrong. And so this book is the story of the journey that God took me on, kind of walking me back through everything I'd stuffed into my life without thinking about it. All of the possessions, all of the events, all of the digital technology that seemed so fun and exciting and life-giving until it started to slowly leech away my 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 joy. Um, and so this book is the story of recovering that, of opening up my clenched fists and letting um, God fill me with peace and joy because there was finally room for those things to come back. That's awesome. I love that even yeah. just then you mentioned technology and schedule and things like that, because I think mm -hmm. uh, just based on the title and the cover, I kind of expected it to be more of like a Marie Kondo type, like just get rid of your stuff, right? When I think of clutter, <laughs> that's what I think of. But It will I mean, solve all your problems. <laughs> right. But I mean, all the different parts are in here of uncluttering your schedule, uncluttering maybe your use of technology, you know, a, a whole bunch of different things, more than just like throw a bunch of stuff away. So I think it's a, a more like realistic and holistic way of approaching it than just like, eh, just throw away your stuff and you'll be fine. Right. And if you don't deal with the underlying issues of why you have so much stuff, it just comes back. There's a whole chapter and I'm like, mm -hmm. I uncluttered and now my shelves are filling up again. Oh no. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not just get rid of stuff that doesn't, that doesn't solve things. It makes you feel great for a little while, but it's just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, and that, that kind of leads me into one of the first questions that I had. Um, so one of the things I really appreciated is that you broke this book up into two big chunks, like looking at more and looking at less and where we need to be adding what we need to be adding more of and what we need to be kind of letting go of. So um, before we get into all these different topics and things that you, you know, kind of walk us through in the book, can you talk a little bit about that discernment and just discernment in general of identifying the what I need more of and what I need less of that you kind of walk us through in the book? Sure. It it turned out that I had to let go of a lot of things before um, God could give me more. You know, when your life is so packed to the gills, even a fun thing, like a friend would text me, hey, I want to grab dinner. And I was like, dinner? I don't have time for dinner. I'm like, okay, that's not okay. Like that's something is sick in my soul. That that is my response to a friend wanting to hang out. Um, so we started by just paring down in every area we possibly could. We said no to commitments. We um, turned off our screens. We took t a ton of stuff to Goodwill. And only then were we able to realize, oh, it's not just about less, it's about more. When there's more room in my home, I can be hospitable. It's much easier to invite friends over and neighbors and, you know, people in need of some love or a hot meal. And when I have less going on in my schedule, suddenly there's more time to connect with my husband. There's more time for my kids. There's more time for me to do things I love, like read books and journal and play music and garden. And and so God really was just so faithful in the, as we had less, um, we were able to experience more and not just more of all of these little things, but more of these deeper, more lasting, uh, more restful things. Um, so the more that we were filled up with was actually nourishing mm. versus the more that we'd had before, which was exhausting. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that gets at kind of one of the things that you mentioned. I think it was in the scheduling part, but I think it, it's applicable kind of all around. And it's this idea that all of our no's are also yeses to something else. And all of our yeses to something are also no's to something else. So obviously that applies in scheduling, right? If you're always on the go saying yes to things, then you have to say no to time with your family or friends or whatever it is. But also, you know, if I'm saying yes to having a bunch of stuff in my house, then I'm saying no to having more space for other people or more mm-hmm. peace or, you know, so I think that throughout the book kind of came back again and again to me of like, it feels like, oh, I'm like getting rid of these things, but you're replacing it, hopefully, ideally with mm-hmm. things that matter more, that are more lasting, right? So it's not just a bunch of no's. Mm-hmm. It's also what is that giving you the space for yeses? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I I think of our guest room. We have this little tiny guest room. And for the longest time, we'd say, sure, you can stay over, but let us move the classic Nintendo from 1990 and the exercise equipment we never use and these boxes. And you can sleep uh, in this corner here. And, you know, that's not restful for anyone. (laughs) House guests felt like a burden and they, I think, felt like a burden when they came because obviously there was no room for them. But as we started getting rid of possessions, we had more room uh, for people. And it's all about people, isn't it? It's all about relationship. Mm. No, that's good. That's awesome. I like that the the Nintendo from 1990 is classic because I'm also from 1990. So I'm classic. Look at me go. I'm I'm much older than you, Robert. (laughs) I know. Yeah, me too. I remember those days of, oh my gosh, lots and lots of memories of those. That's funny. So, <laughs> so even just thinking about, you know, the, the, the sense of stuff and, um, you know, you mentioned about having lots of stuff around the house and things like that. You also talk a lot, a little bit about like shopping in the book and that sense of like, um, you know, in the, you have this quote in there that says in the everydayness, I crave newness and novelty. Don't we all? And just that sense of like, you also had mentioned at some point in the book too, about how, like, it's just, I don't want to say it's like a numbing tactic. I, I don't think those are the exact words that you use, but something along those lines of like, I just want something new. But then after a couple of days, it's like, well, I don't really, that newness is gone. So what about like shopping and how does that fit in with all of this too? The thing about instant gratification is it's gratifying instantly, right? It feels amazing. Um, And I've always been a bargain hunter. So I'm one of those people who will brag about the jeans I got for $15. You know, (laughs) people are like, don't tell people. Then they look expensive. I'm like, I know, but I did such a good job finding these. But that instant gratification fades. And that quick fix of feeling great is so short-lived. And so I started to realize when I was doing these little bits of shopping here and there, these these um, impulse purchases, it was not about actually the jeans or the sweater. Often it would hang in my closet with the tags still on. It was about that feeling. And was there a way that, you know, God usually doesn't give us desires just to be miserable, right? You have this desire, never fulfill it, feel bad. But what was the deeper desire underlying it that God wanted to help me satiate? And I love the passage in Isaiah 55, the message translation talks about how we want to eat cotton candy, but God wants to give us this rich feast. And And those quick shopping hits are cotton candy, but the rich feast was things like nurturing relationships. So instead of heading off to TJ Maxx, could I go on a long walk with friends? Um, And instead of heading to the clearance rack at Target, could I work in the garden with my kids? And those things take a little more intentionality because they're not that same, oh, I feel great. But when that kale is harvested three months later and my six-year-old actually wants to try it because he grew it, right? Like that's... <laughs> I, yeah, I read that part and I'm like, oh, wow, we, that's what we need to be doing, I guess. <laughs> Can I taste it? I'm like, uh, yeah, you can go for it. The kid who hates vegetables. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's how God works. You know, we are, we are, we are so tempted by these quick, easy, instant gratification fixes, but God wants to feed us with these rich, lasting, beautiful pleasures like relationship and creativity rather than consumption. Um, and when we begin to invest in those things, the payoff is so much more, it's longer lasting. Um, and it settles something inside of us, right? The, the quick trip to the mall, we kind of feel keyed up, but the walking through the garden or playing music or, you know, know, having the friends over for dinner, that lasts and that sticks. Oh, that's so good. I love that. 
And that, I mean, that actually, there's, a, shortly after that, you had talked a little bit about clothing and you you had, like, the subtitle of the chapter is, you know, what you and uh, Mark Zuckerberg have in common and just having that sense of, like, a uniform, I think that even touches on some of what you were just saying, too, where it's like, you, you know, that's just one less thing for you to be thinking about or one less thing for you to be hooked on or, you know, concerned with or, you know, in the same way with shopping where there's that newness, but with clothing, the way that you walk through it in the book was just, it just resonated so much with how I've been finding. If I can take a little bit of that less time in the morning to be thinking about that, it frees up so much mental space for me to be focusing on the things that really do matter and paying attention to those instead. Right. We, we get tired, you know, every decision you make drains a little bit of your resolve. It drains a little bit of your energy. Um, I read that we make something like 35,000 decisions in a day. Um, and I'm just not a fashion person. It's not my thing. I grew up in the woods of Wisconsin playing ice hockey, right? I, it's not my thing for some people. They love that. They love to put an outfit together. It gives them joy. It does not for me. And I've tried for years to be cool and trendy and figure it all out. And I just, I couldn't. And so I realized I was spending all this energy before I even left the house in the morning, sometimes before coffee even, which is just cruel and unusual. And I did this crazy experiment for Lent one year. I decided to give up wearing color. I just wore black and white and denim, which I guess is a color, sort of. And unlike other Lenten experiments where I'd fasted from sugar and kept getting into arguments with my husband, and he was like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I just need a brownie. Um, He made me promise to never do that again. He's like, I love you. No more ever. Um, Unlike those types of experiments, this one energized me. I realized I had so much more energy in the day because everything in my closet went with everything else. And I was leaving the house with more in the tank, more in the tank for church, more in the tank for myself, for my family, for the Lord. And it was really a game changer. And at the end of Lent, I put on this beautiful, colorful dress to preach the Easter sermon. And and I went home and I was like, you know what? That was super fun. But I think I'm not going to unpack that box of all my colored clothing. I think I'm going to stick with it. And it's been great. So Mark Zuckerberg has a uniform for work. And now I have kind of a uniform in my closet. And I don't quite have however many billions of dollars he has. But you know, you're getting there. He was on to something. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, my wife has often made fun of me for the fact that my closet is entirely white, black, gray, and blue. But now, hey, look, I've got people on my side. Take that. Yeah. That's Team. awesome. I mean, it wasn't for any reason. I just like those colors, but I'm, I'm going to roll with it. But everything goes with everything else. It's simple. I can get dressed in the dark now, which I have a newborn. Sometimes I need to get dressed in the dark. It's <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, another another area that I thought was really great, obviously we talk or you talk some about technology, right, which I think we've hit briefly on a number of times on this show about technology because it does seem to be one of the more pressing like what are we doing with all of this in our culture and our society today? One of the things that I liked and this is maybe like a mini soapbox thing, but you have this quote in here from Bianca Bosker. I don't know if I said that right. Um where she says this, while some blame our collective tech addiction on personal failings like weak willpower, Harris points a finger at the software itself, right? And talking about how there are people who it's their job to create these things that are addictive, right? That we want to stay engaged with them. And I love that because I think it's super easy to say like, oh, technology, kids these days always on their phone, whatever, whatever, like it's like their fault. But I I always like stepping back and saying, okay, well, who invented this? Who is like making money off of this? Who's advertising this? Uh, And so thinking about kind of those larger systemic things. But the the one of the quotes that you wrote is, how do we use technology without allowing ourselves to be used by it in return, right? Which I think gets at the distinction between, well, you just suck at putting down your phone versus it was designed to stay in your hand, right? So can you talk some about that? Yeah, I think that distinction is so crucial because the one relies just on our willpower and we can get in this sneaky shame spiral of I didn't want to be on Facebook and then I was and now I feel bad and my kids are going to need so much therapy, you know, big believer in therapy, but I, I, I'm like, I want to minimize the things that I'm doing that will yeah. cause them. So to are we, me. by the way. Yep. So are we. <laughs> I know, you know. Um, and, and that guilt, right, that just can kind of break us. It's why we feel bad about the exercise bike in the corner that we should be riding, right, quote unquote, should, that we're not. And so I think realizing that 
there are a thousand engineers on the other side of that screen that make money if I scroll, that make money if I click. And finding ways that we can boundary and border technology so that it's not about my decision to use it and when to use it. Because you know, at the end of the day, you have decision fatigue and your willpower is low and then you go on social media and then you feel bad. And right. So how can we help ourselves so that we aren't being used by it and all the guilt and shame that can go along with that? And I didn't have a lot of that guilt and shame until the kids came along. And then all of a sudden it was, man, every time I'm going to check my phone, it's just two minutes. But that's two minutes where my eyeballs are not on them and I'm focused on something else. And over the course of the day, I'm giving away hours in two minute increments, um, you know, and all the guilt that goes with that. And, uh, you know, they get one childhood and I'm going to remember Facebook more than I remember them. And, oh, it was horrible. And so I had to realize that I needed some tools outside myself. And something that's actually not in the book that I've asked my husband to help me with recently is I just asked him to change my social media passwords. I was like, do not log me in until the kids are in bed. And some nights that's really late. Some days that means I don't go on at all, but it's not up to me anymore, which is amazing to have an extra safeguard there. It's not, I shouldn't check, but I just will. It'll just be a second. Um, it's just out of my hands for the same reason I've taken email off my phone. I know Holly, you were talking about that. You, you took your email browser. I know sister. I'm like preaching, preach, preach, preach through all (laughs) this because we've talked about this, but anyways, I'll comment after keep going. (laughs) I just want to talk. If I didn't get lost so often and need a GPS so desperately, I would go to back to a flip phone um, because then when I want social media email, I log on to my computer, right? I can get on my computer, but it takes more work for me to do that. And that's the real issue is technology is always the easiest thing. Um, it's always easier than having a conversation. It's always easier than doing the things on our to-do list that we really do want to accomplish. And so how do we make it harder? So it's not the easiest thing for us. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we, my husband and I both sign off of, of all technology on our family Sabbath. And at the end of that day where I haven't been on a screen, I feel so good. Um, and, you know, we need screens for work and we need them for life in a lot of ways. But are there ways we can take those breaks and put in those safeguards so it's not just willpower versus a thousand brilliant Silicon Valley engineers. Oh my gosh. They're smarter than me. Yeah. I got out with them somehow. <laughs> yeah. No, I so appreciate you you, you know, talking about all of those engineers who are behind the screen who are trying to keep us hooked to it. I know there are a couple of really good books that help me wake up to that that um um, especially Adam Altler's uh, Irresistible, and um, oh, I cannot for- remember her name. Um, the TechWise family, Andy Crouch's The TechWise family help with that too. And I know you mentioned his book in in yours as well. Um, but there, for me, there was a quote that really jumped out where you said, "No wonder the digital age, for all its convenience, has also become the age of anxiety. Being constantly connected gives you no real downtime. It isolates us. It addicts us. It eliminates much of the space and silence that we need in order to care for our souls. Little by little, we have become alone together, digitally cluttered, and interpersonally isolated. We spend time near one another, but don't interact. And that piece." really jumped out for me. I mean, I I have shared on this show that I took email off my phone and there are seasons where I don't go on social media or I unplug and just like close my account for stretches because my soul needs that break from being connected with everybody else's unfiltered thoughts and (laughs) needs and right? Like it's just constant and I need those rhythms that you talk about so clearly in this book, those rhythms to just be unplugged and fully present to the people that I've been entrusted with here in my home. So yeah, anyways, and, uh, I, yeah. at least somewhat related, I think we've mentioned a couple times about secondary trauma, right, of constantly witnessing terrible things going on or really upsetting things at least going on, right? We There's always outrage about something, which may be deservedly so, but if that is once every 30 minutes, I'm looking at something that is very distressing, I, my brain literally doesn't have enough time to like reset from that, right? So you're just constantly going and constantly going and you're always wired up. And so I think that's also, you know, linked in there. 
Absolutely. And and often God has a singular mission for us. You know, you guys have a different mission than I do, and I have a different mission than my neighbor does. And when we're constantly distracted and pulled in a thousand different directions, that's the other thing that suffered is, is if it's the outrage of the day that's got me all hopped up, when maybe what I'm called to do is deeper work in an area that's really important that has nothing to do with the outrage today. It might have something to do with the outrage two weeks from now, but God has called me to a specific to a specific task, to a specific line of work, to a specific community, and to work hard and faithfully and well. And it's not that the problems of the world don't matter. It's that at the end of the day, what has God set before me? And how can I be faithful in that without being pulled in a thousand different directions and giving away these tiny little slivers of my soul until there's nothing left? Mm. Oh, that's so good, sister. Just preach. Mm. Um, So one of the things, too, kind of along those lines of just, you know, being tugged in a million different directions, you know, the one piece with technology, but you also talk about this with your schedule. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, like those, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And, and, you know, you, you talked a little, quite a bit in this chapter about schedule and tending to our souls and how we structure our time and the rhythms and such. Um, and, um, certainly talking about Sabbath, which I want to go, I definitely want to talk about that in a moment, but I do want to highlight this sweet example that you had where, and you can unpack it a little bit more about pouring Coke into a plant and um, like what that does to growth. I will say that I shared that with Callie and she like got it. I mean, it was so fun talking with her about this book after I read it. And like, that was one piece that for her, you know, for a six-year-old, like she got it. So, but anyway, so, so I want to hear you talk about that example, but I also um, had, I want to talk a little bit about Sabbath in a second, too. So maybe do you want to talk about that example and, and what it was tied to? Sure. And I actually can't can't take credit for the plant illustration. That was from one of my husband's sermons. Um, <laughs> but he let me use it for the book. So You can take uh, credit what for happened his was, sermon. It's fine. I'll take You're married. He had, the, he had the wisdom to marry me, so I'll take credit for all the stuff. So he he put a plant up at the front of the church and just talked about how we often say, you know, God can do anything. God can, and God can, right? God can do anything. Um, so God can make this plant grow. It was this little geranium in a, pot, in a pot. And then he put an umbrella over it, which was funny because we were already indoors. But, you know, the point stands. Now the sun can't get to it. But God can do anything. God can make this plant grow. And then he put a bunch of big rocks in the soil and said, God can do anything. God can still make this plant grow. And then he opened up a can of Coke and poured it over the flower. And this gardener sitting in the front pew was like, ah! he's like, God can do anything, right? But he had created such terrible conditions for this plant to grow. And he said, this is often what we do with our souls. We say, you know, God can speak to me if he wants to. I'm not, I'm not drowning out the voice of the Almighty. But we've distracted ourselves and we've entertained ourselves and we've filled up our schedules to the point of bursting. And we're like, anytime, God, I haven't heard from you in a long time. And God's like, stop pouring coke on the geranium like stop it um i designed you need to need water and sunlight and oxygen and good soil right so we we can control some of the conditions in which we grow and that's our responsibility um we can't make the plant grow but we can make things a lot harder or we can make things a lot easier Mm. yeah That's so good. Well, and right underneath that, you had this quote, like just to follow up on that, where you said he used the visual example to illustrate that if we want our souls to flourish, we have to care for them. The growth belongs to God. The conditions, at least in part, are in our hands. A cluttered soul won't grow as well. A soul that says yes to everything will never get the chance to develop deep roots at all. And sister, that was so painful reading (laughs) because (laughs) I've talked about this on the show too as as an Enneagram too, man, it's really hard to not say yes to everything, right? Mm. I mean, I'm a two as well. The struggle is real. It is. Yeah. Robert, (laughs) Robert too. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do love how you, you, you pointed that out and then you wove it in further and talking about Sabbath. Um, and I will say, I want to hear you talk about Sabbath, but I do want to highlight where you mention Rabbi Heschel's quote that says, it's not just about rest, but it's also rest even from the thought of labor. And that for me was like, 
oh my gosh, I haven't even thought about how much I think about my work, even when I'm supposedly resting, right? Mm. Um, so talk to us about Sabbath and, and, and that practice for you and your family and what that's looked like. Sabbath was by far the most transformative element for our family and for my work and for my soul in writing this book. And it's funny because my husband and I are both pastors. And so you'd think we, of all people, would practice the Sabbath, right? It's in the Ten Commandments, but that's the one we all kick to the curb because we're really important and we're really busy and we have things to do and people need us. Um, and we just had to go back and and say, you know, we're, we need to be serious about this. God put it in the Ten Commandments for our good, for our flourishing, for the good of the world. And you're so right that it's often, you know, many of us, our work is primarily mental work, um, or it's speaking or writing or teaching, which is all mental heavy lifting. It's not that we're out digging ditches and our arms and hands need to rest. It's that our brains are so tired. And so to take a Sabbath rest, and a big part of that for us was signing off digital media. There's still a little bit, a bit of television. My husband's not going to give up football. That's resting for him. Um <laughs> But to sign off of social media and email and not even check it during the day, because as soon as you check it, it's like Pandora's box. And even if you don't answer it, it's going to live in your head for the next eight hours. And suddenly you're doing the opposite of resting because you don't want to answer it. It's your Sabbath. But now you're stewing about it. And and to fill our minds with things that gave us rest and that we're, we're healing. For me, I read a lot of novels. I go outside as much as I can. I play with the kids. You know, we build things. No one utters the phrase, hurry up. No one utters the phrase we're running late, which as a parent of young kids, it's like, we put your shoes in the same spot every time and they are <laughs> never there when we're leaving. Like, what is even the deal? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that that mental relaxation. And it's funny because you think this sounds so amazing, but actually the first few hours of a Sabbath, we are so crabby because it's like we're detoxing from the constant stream of being on and information and things to do. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor calls it Sabbath sickness. She says, you know, we it's like a bad cold and we're like, okay, I've rested now. Okay, I can go back to work now. And the, the temptation is to just hop right back on the treadmill. Um, but if you sit with that and you endure it, it passes. And by the end of Sabbath, my husband and I are always looking each other in the eye and saying, how did we survive before we had Sabbath? How were we even going on? You you remember that God calls you to work hard and faithfully and well, but that at the end of the week, God says, lay down your tools. The work is mine. Um, there's a Victor Hugo quote in the book that I just love. He he said, it was in a letter to a friend, and he said, when you have laboriously accomplished your daily task, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. And I think if that's true at the end of the day, how much truer is that at the end of the week, that the work is the Lord's. And what a relief as a pastor, as a, as a counselor, as a professor, you know, all of the work that you two do, even as a parent to say, you know, we're going to order pizza. I'm not going to cook today. And God is going to be honored by that rest that I take. It's, it's transformed our lives. We can't survive without it. Mm. That's so good. It's yeah. So even good. that reminder too, that like, we don't have to finish the task in order to receive that rest. I mean, that I feel like has been really difficult because I always, think, well, if I just finish X, Y, Z, then I can rest. But then there's always something beyond that. So even welcoming that space of like, I didn't get it done and that's okay. And I can still honor God with that rest. I mean, that's good. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me, there's a, a an exercise. I think I stole it from a Jenny Lawson book and she got it from someone else. But there's this exercise I do with a lot of my clients who struggle with, you know, uh, I feel like I need to be doing for other people or things, right? Because they're all good things. Usually it's not, well, I filled my schedule full of nonsense, right? It's, I feel like I need to be doing work and school and whatever. But it's this idea that you have 10 spoons, you get 10 spoons every day. And no matter what, you can't get more spoons, right? So you can try to like, make new spoons out of caffeine, but like you can't do it, right? You get 10 spoons and the spoons are your energy, which is somewhat related to time, but also you just your energy. And so I write, you know, self and family and work and whatever the categories are, and you get to put your 10 spoons where you want them, but you can't make more. So if you say I'm spending six spoons today on work, then you have less for family, friends, right? But kind of having that grace of, okay, there's only so much that I can do today and then I always say, okay, you have to put one or two in the you chunk, right? Which could also go with this like resting your kind of soul chunk. But just that idea of you have to stop at some. There's only 10 spoons. You can't make more. So trying to make more doesn't lead to anything. Right. 
and that God created us with a finite number of spoons. Yeah. Out of yeah. love. Not not because, you know, some cruel, I'm only going to give them 10 spoons. Like there's goodness in that creation if we would live into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Well, you also talk about, since we're in kind of scheduling and things, you talk about, there's a phrase you used about the liturgy of your day, right? And I like paused and looked at that phrase for a long time because I'd never really thought about it. But I thought about, okay, what does liturgy mean? And some of the defini- one of the definition I found on Wikipedia says liturgy forms the basis for establishing a relationship with a divine agency as well as with other participants in the liturgy. And that was so powerful to me because thinking about the way that I structure my day as, hey, how I do things today is going to be the basis for my relationship with God and with other people. So like, what am I including in that? What am I prioritizing in that? is like a very different way of thinking than wake up, okay, what do I need to do today? I have to do this work. I have to do that, right? But really thinking through kind of the intentionality of that. But I'd never thought about it kind of in those terms. So I don't know, can you talk some about reevaluating, sorting your day, saying what do I need to start with other maybe than coffee? (laughs) Always coffee. Never enough coffee. (laughs) Um, Right. I had to really think about how has God gifted and called me and what has God put on my plate right now. And that changes from season to season. Right now I'm at the tail end of maternity leave and what God has put on my plate right now is Felicity. And, you know, she needs care and diapers and feeding and feeding and feeding and feeding and feeding and feeding. Um, But when we start to think about, um, you know, how is God ordering my life and how can I live into that ordering, uh, priorities become much easier to figure out, right? My my son is, my oldest son is six and he's starting soccer, um, but he's starting soccer. He's not starting soccer, baseball, music, swim class, taekwondo, right? Because one of the things that falls within the liturgy of our family is allowing our kids time to rest, allowing our kids time to be bored. Things that we think God uses to spark creativity and, and re-energize us and meet us. So I think it, it, it takes just looking at that schedule and trying to figure out what have I jammed on here that maybe isn't for me out of guilt, out of obligation, out of no one else was going to sign up for the fill in the blank. So I'm hosting the bake sale. And, you know, what are the gifts that God has given me? And what is the season that I'm in? We all are going to encounter a season where we're caring for aging parents or young kids or work puts a big project on our plates. And those can be great things, We but we take them as they come and we don't decide to live in a frenzied liturgy forever. This is a season, this will pass. Um, where Where is rest even in the midst of this crazy or busy season? Um, how, is God, how does God want to sustain me? Because the beautiful thing about a liturgy is that it's intended for us, right? Another one of the definitions is liturgy is the work of the people. And there's this idea that God is watching over the work of the people. Um, and that work is never to be frenzied. That work is to be it's not that it isn't hard. It's that it's it's paced well. Hmm. That's yeah, so good. That's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Mm. And you mentioned building in time to be bored in there. And I think right after you mentioned creativity. And uh, just because I really love like visuals and metaphors, there's I have no idea where I got it, but I got it from someone at some point. Uh, this idea of like our brain as like a lake, right? And all our like ideas and creative things are like down in there. But every time we say, well, I'm just going to look at my phone or whatever, we're like throwing things into like, so it's constantly, you know, splashing. So you can't see anything that's down in there and you have to give it time to like settle down to be able to dig in deeper and get like the bigger ideas. And that has stuck with me so much because I'm super guilty of constantly needing music or TV or my phone or something, right? I, of I'm terrible at sitting still. And then I think, oh, how come I can't write anything good recently? Or, you know, how come I can't have any good ideas? Well, because I'm not... I'm not giving myself time to to create anything. Right. That's how our brains are designed to work is in the downtime. That's why you have great ideas in the shower a lot of the time, right? The one place mm-hmm. we didn't, yeah, for we sure. didn't used to be able yep. to bring our phones. And now yeah. we're like, great, you can bring it in the shower. And I'm like, no. Uh, yeah. um, when uh, I, my husband and I studied at Oxford our senior year and the the head of the program sat us all down our first day of orientation and said, take walks, take lots of walks. And I was like, I don't have time. I have things to study. I have to read all the books. And he was like, no, like you're not, you won't get all your ideas in the library. Take lots of walks. Um, and that's really stuck with me because if someone far smarter than I will ever hope to be told me to do that, then he must be onto something. So this is 
Absolutely true. I was reading through this this past week, and I'm speaking at a youth group this coming Sunday, and I was trying to think through, like, what am I, what are, what are my big points, what do I want to say? And I read that chunk, and I thought, okay, so I got up, and I took a walk, a nice slow walk around the building that my office is in right now, and I came back, and I had thought, oh, here's, like, my big chunks, and here's the sub chunks that I want to, and just the act of I'm going outside and walking around was more helpful than sitting here with my notepad thinking, oh, what do I want to say? So yeah, look, very tangibly, look at that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, well, one of the, the other things I do love in um, one of the chapters where you talk about simplicity, especially, um, I, I mean, I want to leave that chapter open for our, our listeners to really, like, they need to read this book. I mean, this is one of those books I really, really am hoping our listeners um, go and, and grab after this. But I did want to share that there was one part where you talked about um, like weekly worship as part of this secret of simplicity um, and and it being this practice and what this looks like, especially for you and your husband and the commitment that y'all had made together to engage in worship each week, even if like you gave the example of feeling really sick and having bad cramps and everything and, you know, but you, we, you still went. But within that, you have these categories. I mean, I'll just be honest, where you start talking about these different groups of attenders, folks who go every week, you know, those who don't go, uh, who, who never really go, and those who aren't able to go. And personally, I mean, when I read that third group, I texted Robert. I'm like, I'm crying right now <laughs> just, <laughs> just reading that because I know what that season is like and that feeling. And, and the way, I mean, that's one thing about this book is that I feel like as you're offering each of these little nuggets of wisdom, you fully wrap around, like you just wrap around them with, understanding that we're all in different stages and seasons of life. And this is not a one size fits all. Everybody, this is what you need to do. Like you really do explain even in like the generosity chapter where you're like, it's okay if you can't tithe right now. Like if you're in this season, that's okay. Like, you know, you have so much grace that is just permeated throughout the book. But I really felt it in that section where you talk about worship and um, simplicity. And I just, oh, I loved that so much. It was really good. So yeah, I think sometimes it's ha- helpful to hear that from a pastor, right? If anyone should be telling you to get your butt in a pew on a Sunday, it's me. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've gotten such great response from that chapter because I think people go through seasons where maybe you've been wounded by the church or maybe there's a serious health crisis or whatever it is. And you, the thing that will make you want to go back is the permission not to go for a season. Mm. Um, And I think when someone says too bad, there's no grace, get back here. um, Mm. It makes you want to run, right? You, you need to know that God loves you, that God loves you um, regardless. And that God, you know, there's a reason we're called together to corporate worship as the people of God, because we find so much truth and healing there and Christianity can't be practiced solo um, and we need each other. But there are also seasons, you know, I had a friend just texting me last night who said, thank you for this. I needed to hear it from a pastor. I'm going through a real season of trauma. She said, I'm making plans to go back to church, but I can't this Sunday and I need to hear that that's okay. Uh, And I said, it's absolutely okay. And I also, I love to hear that you're making future plans to get back. Because I think that's the that's the double edge of the sword is sometimes we stop going and we're like, you know what, brunch is awesome. Um, <laughs> and we just kind of fall off the train. So to have that intentionality of I'm going to take a break for this month or for six months. And at the end of that, this is where I'm going to go. And I know that God's going to meet me in that breather and God's going to meet me when I'm back. Mm. Yeah. It was so beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Well, I I know hospitality was another really big topic that um, <laughs> I know. Well, I'm hoping that our readers will get as they're reading um, through it because I, I want to be careful of time too. But hospitality was another big thing that you talked about in the book. But before, before we kind of transition, I do want to share the last quote that you had in the book just is stunning. And I am so thankful for these words. So I'm, I want to share these with our listeners. It says, God is at work, friends, in you, in me, in our families, in the world. He is here. We are here. Let us notice. And in our new, our newly uncluttered lives, maybe with his help, we can even take part in the beauty and grace too. I just loved that. 
It was so beautiful. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, uh, before we wrap up, if there's anything with regard to your hope for this book, or if there's one thing that you really would hope that your readers would take away from this book, what would that be? Um, I'm an Enneagram too, like like both of you. And yes. so I'm a, I'm a helper. I think my... <laughs> My deep heart's hope for this book would be that it would be a help to people, people who are struggling because they feel like they're drowning in their possessions or they're drowning in their schedule or they feel so depleted by their constant digital distractions and they just they just need a drink of fresh, cool water. They just need permission to say no, to do less, to have less. Um, I think sometimes these radical steps of faith are easier when we know that we're not alone in them, right? There's another family here in Southern California who's keeping the Sabbath. You can do it too. But that's my heart's desire is to hear that, you know, even a phrase, even a chapter connected with someone and gave them greater hope in the God of all hope um, that we can live lives that are based in freedom and not in fear and not in exhaustion, um, because that's the God we serve. And that's what God wants to offer to us. Mm, that's so good. I love that. Mm. Well, if you would like to connect with Courtney, you can find her at CourtneyBEllis.com um, or on Twitter at Courtney Ellis or Facebook at author Courtney B. Ellis. Um, if you'd like to connect with Robert Bohr, you can find him at Robert-Bohr.com or on social media at Robert Bohr. Um, if you'd like to find me, I'm at HollyOxhandler.com or on Twitter at HollyOxhandler. Um, but Courtney, I am just so deeply grateful for your time and willingness to, to talk with us today, to talk with us about your book, um, and just for joining us. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience before we wrap up today? Um, I would say you're listening to a great podcast and Holly and Robert are amazing <laughs> and I'm so excited that I got to be here. Oh, oh. Um, but I would say if you're, if you're thinking about uncluttering your life and you're not sure where to start, ask, ask God where God would have you start. And God is really faithful. You'll open a closet and something will hit you on the head or you'll realize you don't have time to think about it. And then maybe it's your schedule. <laughs> maybe that's where you should start um, because the road is a good one and there is a lot of peace at the end of it. And even in the middle. Hmm. That's great. That's so good. That's awesome. That's great. And I would add to that, go pick up your book too. That's great. <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> and you can read the first chapter uh, on my website for free. So if you're thinking, should I pick it up? Should I not? And you want a little taste, it's at CourtneyBLS.com. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Sure. We hope you have a good day. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.